0: Welcome to the Focus
1: Forward Business Podcast for Hey, Welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm your host, Sturdy McKee. I'm here with Bell Walker today. Um, Hi, (laughs) Bell. Bell takes organizations from friction to function and recaptures lost efficiencies and engagement by aligning ways of people working towards strategic goals. And she works with people-spanning industries from tech, professional services, nonprofits, and more. Um, Bela began her career at Google, building a nationwide aerial photography operation. And she's built product management and customer service organizations as well. Um, thanks for being here, Bill. I really appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you
0: for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation.
1: Cool. Well, me too. Um, so let's just start by you telling us more about taking organizations. I'm going to be really broad that idea of taking organizations from friction to function. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, so it, it it's a great question to ask. I'm going to give probably a somewhat unsatisfying answer because what I've found is that that notion of friction seems mm-hmm. to really resonate with people who are experiencing it. And i really struggled to put more uh, information behind it. So let so me pause for one second and speak to all the technical folks out there who are saying, but without any friction, the world doesn't function. Yes, that's
1: right. Here's the engineer. <laughs>
0: yeah, but when you have the correct amount of friction, we don't think about it as friction. We think of it as the ability to grab our mug, pick it up and have a drink, uh, not the friction that enables that. When you're aware of friction as a concept that feeling that energy is being wasted in some invisible dragging way that is the kind of friction that I'm talking about in this context and it and it happens regularly to businesses that have sort of outgrown the structures the processes that got them to where they are and mm-hmm. haven't figured out how to adapt them yet so they're losing all this energy to to a misalignment right between where they started and where they are now
1: and where they want to go
0: exactly right yeah
1: yeah yeah I've seen that I mean I I love your take on it I've seen these kind of predictable moments where what got you here won't get you there and there you know so Rand Stegen actually said this the first time I heard it and it made total sense to me he was giving a talk and he put up a picture of his daughter and he talked about how wonderful she is and unique she is and she was like one year old uh, in the picture She was much older at the time but so, you know, she's wonderful and unique and precious to us and eminently predictable. And I love that because from a clinical background myself, right? I'm like, yeah, we looked at pediatric milestones and all that stuff. And, and a, a, you know, child development is pretty predictable. You know, roughly when they're going to, you know, walk, when they're going to crawl, when they're going to talk, when they're going to sit up, when they're going to, you know, eat solids, all these different things, right? And then he said, just like your business. And everybody in the room kind of went, what? right and basically these bottlenecks seem what i've seen happen at around 5 10 25 50 100 200 500 employees like the systems that got you to the 25 won't necessarily get you to 50 and definitely won't get you to 100 what's your experience for that kind of thing
0: Uh, very very similar um i i will say that the sort of nitpicker in me then tends to say, oh, well, but this particular milestone is slightly earlier, slightly later for this. Sure. Business. So I, I don't tend to focus in on what those transition points are, but that experience of, you know, we we have hit a breaking point for our business really is, I think, very universal and very few organizations. Oh, the other piece of it is that many organizations blow through one of those sure maybe even a few, without really noticing them. And so I think it can be easy to get complacent and say, oh, well, I I made it to 25 people and I didn't really have those major pain points. And what I more often see is that you did have those pain points. You also had the innate skills that were needed in those moments to overcome them. And what you are finding now is that you have reached the first point where your skill set just isn't the match needed and for those who hit that break point really 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 early good news probably your skill set is going to be better matched to a later break point that you will then blow through without noticing it
1: no i love that thank you because uh yeah and and those are just kind of general you know those milestones or time periods are kind of generalizations so that people can start to put some kind of framework around it but yeah I, i i I've seen that as well, where they get really frustrated, you know, because they have gotten this far and now they can't break through. You know, I was involved with a company at one point, not in consulting, not giving them advice, but working with them on some other stuff, but they were stuck at a, like 175 people. Right. And five years later, they were still at 175 people. They went from 178 to 176. Right? And they couldn't yeah. figure out how to go through that next barrier. Um so, yeah, different different leaders, different skills. Talk more about the skill set though. what What's important? What's necessary for folks?
0: Well, I, I would say it's a combination of skill set and um bandwidth and context. um because one one thing I will say is that I, as an executive, could have used me as a consultant, right? and and obviously those those mm. two people have the same skill set. So skill is one piece of the puzzle. i'll I'll talk about that, and then I'll talk about the other half of it. So on the skill yeah. side, uh, especially with smaller teams, smaller organizations, being able to think very relationally, being able to uh, be very comfortable with kind of gray areas and lo- loose definitions at best really allows a lot of organizations to thrive, right? That, that big vision when you have a very small group can often be enough to unite and support each other as you're moving forward. So five people, a lot of structure, a lot of process for most organizations is going to be very hampering. There, right. there are some, but in general, right? a right. 100 people all trying to just do their best to follow a vision without any structure or process. <laughs>
1: That's chaos.
0: It's chaos. And every one of those 100 people with the absolute best intentions are almost certainly going to have redundant work and gaps and missing things. And so you know, somewhere in the hopefully most of your your listeners can kind of understand those extremes, right. Sure. But where in the middle of that transition happens and and it's not that you once in, to your point, right? go from no. loose to clear there are these sort of various boundaries. And, and so that's sort of why I was saying those who weren't necessarily blowing through the first couple milestones are probably people who have more of that structure and uh, kind of clear definition mm. orientation. That's not really helpful in that five person point, um, but it's gonna be super helpful when you're at 100 people. Um, and so that, that's a little bit on the skill side, the other piece is just the context, right? When you are in the business every day, making it work, making it happen, focusing in on what it is you do, how you're doing it, it's very difficult to step back and see that broader picture. Um, and even though you could look at anyone else's business and see the broader picture, right? Having that skill set, the the time, the mental bandwidth, that freedom and flexibility is is just hampered when you are busy trying to make it happen every day.
1: Yeah, you when you're, it's the forest for the trees kind of concept, right? And, and uh, yeah, when you're in it, you're... Well, here. well, here's something I found helpful as well for folks who are in it every day, to take a pause once a week, once every couple of weeks, once a month, even for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and just think about where they were a week ago, a month ago, what they've done because we don't give ourselves enough credit, and for the things we've done and we've accomplished, we need to take a breath because we're not we're not talking to somebody. And I love your point too about you know seeing somebody else's business. When we go into businesses all the time, right? We go into restaurants, we go into coffee shops, we go into gas stations, we go whatever, and we see things that don't work, right, or that could be better. And can we apply that same perspective, the customer perspective, to our own businesses?
0: Can we? Yes. Absolutely. Do we? Uh, do we is and is that the biggest fire in your business right now? Is mm-hmm. that the best use of your time as, as a CEO, as a founder, um, you know, or whatever role you happen to be in? I think there there's layers to these questions, right? And and mm-hmm. those answers very much vary at some of those different breakpoints. Um, sure. And perhaps not intuitively, right? I, I would actually argue that some of the earlier breakpoints, getting external support is actually more important than when you're larger, um, because when you're larger, you tend to have more depth and more strength behind you in your organization. So if you are taking that step back and focusing on the big picture, you're more likely to have that team who is keeping the day-to-day going for longer than might be possible um, at some of those earlier times, and and I think that runs counter to what a lot of people expect. They really think that those first several breakpoints, they should— I mean, one of my least favorite words—but they should be able to do it on their own. It's only ten people, right? I I can read the books. I could ten people, man. You're you're covering a minimum ten percent of your entire business if you somehow have. Your work, everything that has to happen, completely evenly distributed at that size. You're still ten percent, best case, and so that I think is easy to overlook when yeah. we're we're in those moments.
1: No, that's a great point. I appreciate that. Um, now, one of the things you do is work on process mapping, but I would love for you to go into that and explain a little bit more about what that is and how that might how that might work. It's, it's, students.
0: Absolutely, because that is a great tool. Process mapping is something anybody listening can do on their own and and probably see very real value from. So, Mm -hmm. process mapping is, to a large extent, exactly what it sounds like. It is a map, a visualization of processes. Um, Where it can get a little tricky is being clear and consistent around what it is that you, what is your start point of your map? What is your Mm -hmm. end point of your map? And what level of detail do you want your map to represent? And then holding consistently to those decisions. So um, in the visualization, there's a whole uh, visual language around these various shapes and graphics that allow you to sort of walk your way through this map, through the paths, um, whether it's sort of rectangles for tasks or diamonds for decisions. And when you're familiar and comfortable with this visual language, these become incredibly powerful tools that anyone in an organization can use to understand what needs to happen, who needs to do it, how their work fits into the bigger picture, um, where there are gaps, where there are, Maybe overlaps that are unintentional, and uh, getting again being able to articulate it can be a bit of an adventure um, because the often the goal is to map the process as it currently is, and there's something called the spotlight effect where when you look at something, it's very difficult for it to remain unchanged now that it is the focus of that attention. And so I, I will say I have never yet created a process map where in mapping the current state, there was not at least one thing that the people I was working with did not insist on changing absolutely immediately just because seeing it as it was, suddenly being face to face with this this step in their process, this decision, I felt silly. Um, so I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so people can understand this. I uh, worked with a company where part of their uh, financial um, accounting process involved doing a uh, printout, physical printout from their accounting software, scanning the printout, and uploading it into their accounting software. Okay. And when you say it like that, it sounds a little bit uh, Why? Why? Who on earth? Now, when you go back through the history of the company, it actually makes perfect sense. The two pieces of the accounting software that they were using used to live in completely different tool sets. The company had a pretty long history. Print to PDF alone was not really common when those processes were first established. So printing it out, scanning it, getting it into the other software absolutely was an important and valuable piece of their process a decade or two ago. And sure. because that was just how things were done, no one had, and because it was technically two different pieces of their accounting software,
1: uh-huh.
0: no one had really stopped to think about, wait, why are we doing this? But the moment they were telling me about it, and I, and I asked, wait, just, just to double check, is this actually what I heard?
1: No. They said,
0: oh, wow, yes. And one, let's check if we can access this information from the, you know, across the countertop, exactly. which they could, but even if they couldn't, they could have saved themselves a few minutes every time they ran this process, just by printing the PDF instead of paper, print, scan, not to mention the trees. And so that's what I mean about, you know, you, sometimes the spotlight effect, you shine the light and there's a totally, you know, smart people making good decisions at the time, develop a mm-hmm. process that worked, and maybe it's not working quite the way you want it to now.
1: Right. Well, I love that because it's such a simple process, right? And we, I mean, this is something I advocate for as well as like, if, if I ask my clients, is it, do you have a process? And, you know, invariably the answer is yes. Is it documented? Well, you know, maybe somewhere, I don't know, you know, whatever. I'm like, well, as soon as you write it down though, that kind of creates that spotlight effect. You know, and, and as soon as you write those three steps down or whatever the steps are, you kind of go, well, wait a second, is that really what we ought to be doing? Or if you're building a process or mapping it for the first time and you've got four different people kind of sort of doing it, you can watch each one of them and map out what they do and then kind of choose, pick and choose what's the best, most efficient, you know, best for the customer, whatever the priority is, right?
0: Yeah, exactly, and And that process also allows you doing that conversation allows you to see when multiple people are doing things differently Mm -hmm. is is also, um, I think, one of the key opportunities in doing some process mapping, because there may be parallel processes actually happening, uh, maybe even using the same terminology uh, in a conversation, but then actually writing it down allows people to say, oh, huh, your your way of doing step three is fantastic. And my way of doing step eight is saving us a whole bunch of time. How do we get the best of all these perspectives in all these worlds?
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, so another thing, you, you actually wrote an article and I, I love this that you, um, like I said in the beginning, we're going to make your performance management process less efficient to make it more effective. Stick with me, right? Can you talk a little bit more about that? When when would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you sacrifice efficiency for effectiveness? And what's that? What's that look like?
0: Yeah. I, so in that particular context, the analogy that I drew in that that article, I think, is is valuable even for people who don't like sports. But it is a sports metaphor. I love.
1: Right? I do sports all the time. As analogies, so go for oh. it.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. Well, whether you you are the baseball fan who loves all the stats, knows all the stats, or know somebody who is that or have just been annoyed by somebody reading you all the stats, <laughs> all right. I think most Americans at least are aware that baseball as as a game has a bajillion stats. Right. And even with all those stats, a true fan will tell you it's it's basically impossible to know who's going to win this game this time or flipped around the other way, the team that won this game this time may not be the better team objectively when you take a step back and start looking at all the stats. And so we we have this wealth of knowledge and information that people get very excited about. And then you go into a performance review, there's maybe five dimensions, may, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this incredibly narrow focus. Often a lot of performance management comes down to here is one list of like yes no checklist items. And that's what we're basing our, our performance evaluation on. And that discrepancy, once you know, I was talking to a colleague and, and this came up and it just you know shocked me when I stopped to think about it that we put all this nuance and depth into talking about Performance of a, a sports team and so much less nuance and depth when we're talking about the performance of our employees, our teams, right? sometimes even our entire business. And so what I'm what I'm hoping to encourage people to do is to take that, that broader view and as you said earlier, right, to pause on a regular cadence and think about: am I really looking at all the dimensions, all the dimensions that can tell me the health the performance the value of my business my team my employee mm-hmm. and i think that the answers are going to change over time right that's an advantage that the sports have the rules change but not usually very quickly mm-hmm. business changes dynamically constantly and so if you start with this large number of variables you will probably pretty quickly realize that there's only you know a subset of them that are really driving what you want to know But that subset may be totally different next week, next month, next year. And without taking a step back again, how how do you know that you're looking at the right things?
1: No, I love that. So um, my 17-year-old plays baseball. He's kind of a little serious about it. He said the same exact thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. when you said, well, you don't know which team's going to win, any team can win an individual game. We were talking about that, and he's just like, well, that's baseball. It's like, that's just the way it is, right? That's why they play series for the playoffs and they have you, right? It's, yeah, anybody, we defy the stats. Stats are averages in a lot of cases, right? They're averages. They're not telling what's happening today. So, um, no, I like that emphasis too, to have, so how would you make the review process and the nuances, how, is there any way you would think about bringing that into those performance reviews, bringing that into those assessments and really, Making it a little bit more uh, well-rounded,
0: um, so i'm I'm a big fan of being able to tie back to high level goals wherever possible. So especially with a smaller team or company, mm-hmm. really looking at what is the the goal, the vision for the organization and saying, okay, what are the elements of now this individual's role? that could touch on that high level success. So that that's part one. Perfect. Part two uh, gets a little trickier, um, is making sure that you're thinking about the, sort of the invisible work that happens in an organization. So do you have a team member who makes sure that the coffee is filled every morning, no matter how early, you know, the earliest meeting needs to be? Do you have somebody who is reaching out in a virtual environment and sharing a joke with every team member at least once a day and keeping that morale up. Um, There's a lot of these pieces that very easily get overlooked because these are individuals who are force multipliers rather than direct forces themselves. And so if you're kind of looking vertically if you will between uh your along your team all the way up to your high level goal that's piece one and then piece two is kind of this horizontal perspective of what is the impact someone is having across the broader organization and and as you get more people there does need to be some degree of consistency um Mm -hmm. if nothing else right from a, a dei perspective when you really look at the individual perspective, there is a risk of bringing these unconscious biases into the conversation, and so sure. some degree of systematization is important. However, finding that balance between looking at all the different options uh, and then selecting some. So I, you asked a sort of more practical execution question. How how would I recommend doing that? I, I would say, where possible, on a, a quarterly or at least annual basis, taking that big picture perspective and saying, what are all the variables kind of vertically and horizontally in my organization that I think are going to be moving the needle, you know, have moved the needle this past year, are going to move the needle next year, um, and then sort of collecting them in and recognizing that giving sort of ratings and feedback across a lot of variables is more work and is going to give you a more nuanced picture and a more detailed picture Really, just about committing to a little more effort for a pretty sizable reward.
1: Well, I love that because one of the ways we operationalize and use it, and when you said vertical and horizontal, it's exactly how we map it out. Um, Vertical is job performance, right? It's the how are you hitting or exceeding your expectations or not, or whatever. Left to right is how aligned are you with the core values in the culture? How are you contributing? to that and it's you know again on a spectrum it's an analog scale you're trying to look at and kind of see how this person's contributing to the overall you know through their behaviors through their activities so you know when you're talking about the the jokes or the coffee or any of those things those go into kind of our expected behaviors or not right whatever they are and uh it's it's a way to make it a little bit simpler and operationalize it i think but and it's not I'm sitting here listening to you but it's not comprehensive enough Right, but it's a start. Right. And it starts to help simplify and, and make it something that you can begin to think about. Um, but yeah, that, I, I love your perspective on that. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. You also mentioned the DEI thing. So, I what I've found is in practice, if you're really truly adhering to values and you're clear about your purpose and your behalf and where you're going, all those things comprising your vision, you will attract a more diverse population of players, you know, because they're aligned on the things that are important. And, you know, when we're we're looking at it around our values and what we really think is important, whether that's, you know, prioritization of customers or efficiencies or whatever, you know, uh, where we're, why we're doing what we're doing, um, all those things, a lot of the other stuff kind of melts away, the stuff that we get hung up on, which is, I think, awesome.
0: Yeah, I I think that is very fundamental to to inclusion and belonging. If everyone is, it, the the D is is important and uh, sure. it doesn't matter how many diverse individuals you attract by any dimension of diversity, if they are unhappy and immediately leave again. Right, right. <laughs> no, that would not be
1: right. That, that's not how you want
0: to do it. <laughs> right, and, and anyway, it's amazing how many. Companies are are doing that. So once you have that sure. sort of that high level goal, the the key values, um, it, that I think really does offer then a space and an opportunity for people to bring their whole selves and relate to these consistent framework elements that everybody shares. Um, the the one sort of caution I would add here is that. Uh, I see a lot of companies who, who actually have done a, a great job of folding their values into performance management. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a minimum, um, but yeah. I, would, I would say to just reiterate that there is more to that. And I pick the coffee and I pick the jokes for a reason because it's right. it's highly unlikely that those actually map really cleanly to a core value. And a you know a collegiate right people who who have that sort of humor moments together. There's a lot of data that those are more productive, more effective teams.
1: We should talk more about how to make those map better because that's one of the things we do is really, you know, work on the behavioral kind of ideas and what what makes the team click and come together. What are our expectations for each other? I, I love doing that work with folks because it's much more of a discovery process than it is. It's not an invention. You know, we're not that def- they're already there. Right. Right. Those expectations, those those kind of standards are already there. We're just not generally not very explicit about them.
0: Right? And that's that's a really good point, right? Because I, I think the expectations standards are there, but if you're going to fold them into performance management, they have to be explicit. They have right. to be articulated and recognized.
1: Yeah, they can't be assumed or then nobody knows nobody knows what the rules are right <laughs> you kind of get confused so um probably one of one of the last things before we wind down here um you do nonprofit boot camps can you talk about that for a minute
0: what do yeah. Those entail? yeah so that um that came out of the first you know decade decade and a half of my career as i was going through the for profit world i was very fortunate to have access to a bunch of management training leadership training resources support and i had very close friends who were on their own career path through the nonprofit world and and this has changed a little bit since since then but at the time they they had basically no access to i uh, any of these resources, right? No one was offering support around leadership, around management and how to uh, drive change systemically and organizationally in the broader world. Really, it was all, we have the same mission, let's have at it uh, and and best of luck to us. And so as as I have moved into an independent consulting world, um, I have now connected with colleagues who have Complementary skill sets to my own, where I now have uh, a network where we can actually provide some of that training, those resources, and, and that support. And so the the focus really is around making available to nonprofit leaders lessons and tools and um, just concepts from the for-profit world that are centered around making the the workplace the the culture, the team more aligned, more effective, more cohesive. And so it doesn't really matter whether you're trying to create, you know, all the all the money you can possibly create or meaningful change in the world. These are going to be valuable skills. And bluntly, I see too many nonprofits with toxic cultures. Those are the folks who are mm-hmm. making our world a better place. The least we can do is help make their lives less painful while they're <laughs> at it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, no, I love it. What I guess what I see with or the, at least the folks I work with, there's a balance between making the world a better place and making you know money. And if it's done well, in a lot of cases, those are very very synergistic and aligned, right? The more value, the more good I do, the better I get paid. Awesome. That's how you kind of. I mean, that's ideal, right?
0: Right. That
1: way, but yeah, you're you're managing an organization, and an organization is a group of people, so. I don't see nearly as many differences, I think, as kind of the conventional wisdom, between a nonprofit and a for-profit business.
0: Exactly, and and I think that is a mindset that is becoming more common. I'm seeing yeah. more nonprofits that have CEOs uh, in that executive director is kind of the traditional title, um, and so I and I think this is really positive change overall. And, and I'm just happy that we can maybe be one one little piece of it helping these these nonprofits operate more more effectively and, and have higher engagement, you know, and really allow bring more to supporting the employees than only the passion for the mission that right. is kind of the, right. the baseline. Right. Well I
1: mean it's an it's a great baseline, right? It's a great starting point but it's not everything.
0: Well, and I think it's how we got here, right? Mm-hmm. It is because you do have so many people who are so passionate about the mission that they ha- there has been a willingness to, able right, to put up with behaviors <laughs> and, and, and again, most almost entirely coming from good intentions and from good places, but folks who have never had the opportunity to see how, that force multiplier effect works, right? How investing in their teams and the internal operational element actually yields a larger external result. If, if you haven't had that exposure, it's very instinctive, I think, to be entirely externally focused when you have mm-hmm. this mission. And, and I think that's how a lot of these organizations have ended up in, in tricky spots. And so if we can bring mm-hmm. some of that awareness to all levels of leadership, then uh, you know everyone is gonna win.
1: I love it. No, that's awesome. Any, um, any other thoughts you want to leave us with before we find out?
0: No, yeah, I think we've, we've covered a pretty solid. Yeah, gamut. I think you've, you've gotten a pretty good view into how my brain works, which is <laughs> always fun. And I, <laughs> no. and I love seeing how, how so many of the things that I think are important and foundational and fundamental for the work I do are explicit topics of conversation with your clients, with your audience, Um, because I can't be successful if folks don't know where they're trying to go.
1: No, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I love your insights, Bell. This has been uh, another awesome, awesome conversation. Appreciate it. Um, Thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Focus Forward Business Podcast.
0: Thank you for
1: listening.